Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. In-depth coverage and timely analysis of macro and micro happenings in crypto and Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Insider. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, gather around. It's time for another exciting episode of Thriller Insider. Today is January 27th, 2021. And today we are covering Davos 2021, days one and two recap. That's right. Every year we try to do our best to cover all the conferences that are pertaining to the Bitcoin and crypto space. And last year we covered Davos. And this year I decided, you know what, it's probably best to cover Davos again just because there's always something lurking there. And last year, as you know, it was uh, pretty interesting because this was before COVID, but there was a lot of COVID talk there. And I figured, you know what? <laughs> we probably should cover Davos this year because had we covered uh, a Davos last year and paid more attention to it, we probably could have known about some things that were headed uh <laughs> A little before everybody else. So I figured, you know what, let's pay close attention to it this year and, and really do our due diligence and really find out what's going on. So this year we're covering it. We're going to really pay attention to it. We're doing a Thriller Insider. Uh, we're just doing day one and day two recap. Uh, and I picked out the best kind of, um, you know, audio from these two days, uh, kind of highlighting what's going on and what they're talking about in Davos for your listening pleasure. So in 1973, World Economic Forum founder Klaus Schaub launched the first Davos Manifesto. He set ethical principles nearly 50 years after its founding, and the forum has launched a new manifesto this year. The global economy has undergone a huge transformation, and they're kind of doing this whole like great reset, right? And I kind of mentioned it last year. There's this whole talk about this great reset and with the rise of big tech and the rise of China and rage inequality and ethical companies and big green tech, there's there's just there's a lot going on. And, you know, we're going to do our best here at Thriller Premium, you know, to kind of cover, you know, these global insights and, and look into the impact that, you know, crypto and Bitcoin are, are having on these wider issues. Um, with how it's responding to COVID-19 and restoring economic growth and kind of advancing this new social contract that's kind of pertaining around with uh, what's going on here, right? Uh, I'm really going to do my best to stick to that narrative, right? I'm not going to try to, you know, feed her off into this, this politicizing that's being done around the world, around these issues, right? I'm really going to focus on the digital currency aspect of it all and the Bitcoin aspect of it all. So I, I promise you that. So with that, let's dive into Davos 2021. probably know is they are really kind of coming around this thing called the great reset and they have all sorts of individuals 
coming from different parts of the world to come talk here at Davos. And they have leaders from Russia, from uh, China, from Japan, from Indonesia, from Africa. Surprisingly, no one from the United States. I, that, that was really surprising to me. Um, you have people from the central banks, from uh, different CEOs, from like uh, some of the biggest banks in the world, uh, central banks from like Sweden, uh, from, from Switzerland, from all over the place. Um, you even have some of like the, what you would call the global elite too, as well. Um, uh, so I'm going to play for you kind of their video of what they are calling their quote unquote agenda for 2021 called the great reset. Uh, and just kind of listen to their, the information that they're kind of showing here. Um, it's, it's pretty fascinating how they even talk about how it sounds like a conspiracy inside the video. Uh, so take a listen. The pandemic has radically changed the world as we know it. And the actions we take today as we work to recover will define our generation. Oh, is the time to think what history would say about this crisis. 2020 has been challenging on a lot of levels, as economic, environmental and societal frailties have been laid bare. But it's also proved that when we need to, we can act rapidly and restructure our lives. Recovery from the pandemic is an opportunity. We can see rays of hope in the form of a vaccine, but there is no vaccine for the planet. Nature needs a bailout. You don't want to go back to the status quo that you had before simply because it was the status quo that got us here. With everything falling apart, we can reshape the world in ways we couldn't before. Ways that better address so many of the challenges we face. And that's why so many are calling for a great reset. A great reset? That sounds more like buzzword bingo masking some nefarious plan for world domination. Hands up, this kind of slogan hasn't gone down well. But all we really want to say is that we all have an opportunity to build a better world. And it's not surprising that people who've been disenfranchised by a broken system and pushed even further by the pandemic will suspect global leaders of conspiracy. But the world's not that simple. Every one of us has differing priorities, values, and ideas. That's part of why solutions are so hard to come by, and why we all need to be involved in the decision-making. Because whether it's politicians, CEOs, academics, activists, or you, we're all about getting people together, even those you may not like, to sit down at the table and develop solutions that work for all of us. But... We enormous trust between the private sector and the public sector for this to actually work. That trust is hard to come by. It's time for people to work together, listen to each other and build this trust so we can move towards a better world. And we really need one. Because while the pandemic affects us all, it's clear it affects some more than others. The first people who are hit are the people at the front, those who are vulnerable. It is those on the front line who take it first. And that is simply unacceptable. See, at the start of 2020, 1% of the world's population owned 44% of the wealth. And since the start of the pandemic, billionaires have increased theirs by more than 25%, whilst 150 million people fell back into extreme poverty. And with climate change set to dwarf the damage caused by the pandemic, the message from 2020 should be abundantly clear. Capitalism, as we know it, is dead. This obsession that we have had with maximizing profits for shareholders alone has led to incredible inequality and a planetary emergency. But no one can do this alone. And top-down approaches won't get us anywhere. Because everything we've learned in our work has shown us that diverse voices lead to better results. And it's for these reasons that the forum talks about something called stakeholder capitalism, which would shift businesses away from just profit. Because if we want to change where the focus of our recovery will go, then we need a new dashboard for the new economy. And that needs to encompass people, planet, prosperity and institutions. Giving people a real stake in the economy and putting well-being before growth. And that's all about getting the right people in the right place at the right time. We must rebuild our relationship with nature for the survival of the peoples and our planet. 
We have a window of time which is closing and we need everybody who cares to get together and find solutions now. It's the people who have great ideas and who share them with others. They're the ones who are shaping the future. So if you want to be a part of the change, then tune in, turn on and get involved. Follow the Davos Agenda right here, online, on YouTube. Yeah, so just just very creepy voice, um, you know, uh, it, it kind of took me back. Uh, but enough with all that. Let, let's dive into what we came here for. And that's a digital currency talk and Bitcoin talk. Uh, so uh, COVID-19 has accelerated the long term shifts from cash. We know that uh, with an 8% increase in non-cash payments in the euro area in 2020. Uh, meanwhile, central bank digital currencies are all the rage this year. Uh, that's pretty much what they're talking about in Davos this year. Last year, if you remember, central bank digital currencies, they were like, yeah, we could see them becoming a thing. And 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 uh, central banks were like, yeah, we're looking into it. Uh, maybe this year it's like, what are the policies? What are the practices? Where are the partnerships? Where do we need to leverage these opportunities uh, it's almost like COVID lit a fire under everybody's ass. <laughs> and now this rise of digital currencies and stable coins is just everybody's like, um, you know, top priority. And it really did uh, kind of happen that way. And so uh, we have the executive director and, and uh, of banking here for the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, and then Glenn Hutchins, one of us. <laughs> here of DCG, Digital Currency Group, uh, talking uh, amongst themselves about uh, about uh, stable coins. But before, before we jump into that, I want to play this clip first because this is a, of Glenn Hutchins. And he basically, this, this, this clip made headlines today because he finally set the record straight about Bitcoin being used for illegal, uh, you know, purchases uh, for drugs and, and North Korea and for bad guys and for <laughs> whoever else uh, Bitcoin is used for to scare people. Uh, so uh, take a listen. The arc of creation of technology companies goes from math problem to math solution to engineering problem to engineering solution to product creation to business model uh, construction around the, the product to company formation around the business model. Um, and in the digital currency world, we have the, the math problem, is, of course, the Byzantine General's problem. The Bitcoin was the solution to the math problem. We spent much of the last five years taking that solution and trying to engineer products around it. And we sort of solved a lot, but not all the problems that came out of that. Uh, and now we're at the point where we're actually designing products and trying to see if they find business models. And so what I spend most of my time worrying about is can we construct business models around some of these cool products that are being created, as you've done uh, inside your company, can we do that um, uh, across across the industry? That's the where the industry is in this development. It's where I spend most of my time um, working. Um, yeah. Right? Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, secondly, I would say that on the regulatory front, I think it's very important. I've uh, emphasized enormously uh, as I've entered into this industry um, that it needs to work inside a regulated regulated environment. Uh, both from the central bank point of view and the securities uh, um, industry point of view in the United States, that would be the Fed and the SEC. Um, and, um, but the regulators also need to understand that they need to construct a, construct a set of regulations that fits this new industry. Uh, just the way that we construct a set of regulations that uh, Green was talking about that fit those new currency industries and the way we did currencies and then the way we later created regulations to fit something brand new called stocks. We can't take the old regulatory model and put it on top of this. Um, and my friend Ken Rogoff, professor at Harvard, former uh, chief uh, economist of the IMF, in his book, The Curse of Cash, writes that um, 80 to 90% of all US $100 bills are used in for uh, organized crime and tax evasion. The, the single largest uh, vector along which organized crime operates is US $100 bills. The uh, income, because they are um, untraceable, essentially, and they're fungible and people can use them anywhere they want. Uh, the Bitcoin in contrast, uh, leaves a permanent auditable, auditable record called the blockchain. And that's why almost all the Bitcoin criminals are caught because they're, they leave footprints that are permanent and, un and auditable. 
And most people from law enforcement understand this. As a consequence, this is just an example, as a consequence of which I think it's wrong to say that Bitcoin transactions are primarily used for uh, uh, in criminal uh, enterprises. Because if you actually look at the use statistics uh, right now, that's just fundamentally wrong. And so I think those sort of understandings of kind of where this, what happens in this industry and how it operates, how it compares to the economy that we're, we're superseding need to be overcome with a fair amount of education. So that's my second thing I worry about. Yeah. So, I mean, Glenn just gets it right. I mean, we're talking about a very smart man here, right? He's co-founder of North Island Ventures. You know, he's director here of TCG. Um, I mean, you look at his just list of past jobs that he's had here, the Federal Reserve, BA at Harvard, MBA at Harvard. Come on. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if there's anybody that could explain this and people might listen, it's, it's this guy. So uh, hopefully he set the record straight for these people here at Davos uh, and let's hope that they finally listen. Um, so uh, that was well and good that he finally said that and it finally caught headlines and finally somebody with notoriety can actually get this out there and, and people will listen uh, because we've been saying it for a really long time. Uh, the next clip I want to play is just about stable coins and then Glenn really caps this off here at the end because he understands it like the rest of us. We know where this is headed. And a lot of the people here at Davos are bankers, are politicians, are the quote unquote global elite. They think stable coins uh, are going to be the next big thing. And they think fiat currency is uh, is going to be continuing. And and for, for, for a time, it will. Um, but they don't know what we all know and what Glenn knows is that uh, all roads lead back to Bitcoin. So uh, take a listen to to this conversation, how it starts and definitely how it ends. CBDC, so central bank digital currencies. And we talk about um, some of the things you mentioned going forward in this discussion. Interesting to, to hear from a historical contest. Um, I'm, I'd be interested for the next panelist to discuss also whether the centralized versus decentralized aspect uh, of what you just mentioned. So we, this next question is for Governor Bailey and Glenn Hutchins. Um, who perhaps might have the same the same point of view on this, but let's hear it. Are we here to stay now with digital currencies as part of the financial ecosystem? I mean, there are definitely advocates strongly believing this and some on the opposite side. Has, but there has there been a turning point over the last one to two years, for instance, from COVID-19 or with the popularity of some cryptocurrencies? Has sentiment turned a corner? For those of us who have been involved in technology for seven years, we've seen sentiment ping pong back and forth. And where are we now with the thinking on how digital currency takes its place in the financial system? And, I, and I'd love to hear your, your perspective, not just on CBDCs, but on other forms of digital currencies. Governor Bailey, would you like to start us off? Yes. Um, I mean, thank you. And I think, I mean, first of all, I think that the, the lessons of history are fascinating here. I think the answer to the to your question is, are we, you know, are we here to stay is for digital innovation and payments? Yes. I mean, there's been huge innovation in payments in recent years, and rightly so, but we still have some very big gaps to fill. Um, you know, cross-border remittances, cross-border payments being the obvious one where the cost of making payments is too high. Now, are we here to stay in terms of digital innovation? Yes. But what I think the, history, the lessons of history are so fascinating, as Green Massima laid them out, is have we landed on what I would call the design governance uh, and arrangements for what I might call a sort of a, a you know a, a lasting digital currency. No, I don't think we're there yet, uh, honestly. Um, I don't think cryptocurrencies as originally formulated are, are it. What, because I think that as, as, as the history shows us, this whole question of people having assurance that their payments are going to be made in something with stable value which, as the history lesson says, ultimately links back to what we call fiat currency, which is a link to the state. Now, you can, you can organize that, I think, in quite a few ways, and here's where the innovation comes in. And that's why we're, we're right still to debate stablecoin, we're right to debate central bank digital currency. Those issues, I think, are very much up for grabs, and I'm sure we'll be discussing them today. But is digital innovation here to stay? Yes, I think my, my 
presumptionism, my best guess is, yes, it is. And it should be because, as I said, we've, we've got challenges, big challenges still to solve where it should help us. It'll be interesting to hear also, you know, what is the designated lifespan of the currency in 2020 and going forward? Will it, is it 100 years, 200 years? What will that lifespan look like? Glenn, do you want to comment? Yeah, let me uh, take up where you, rather than repeat what Andrew said, which I thought was um, spot on, take up where you uh, alluded to digital currencies and other digital currencies. Take a step back for a moment. The, the currency is one, is one of three elements that are the fundamental innovation here. The other two are the blockchain and the protocol, in this case, the Bitcoin protocol. Um, they work together in a way that makes them inseparable. If you analogize it to a railroad, uh, the token or coin is the boxcar, the blockchain is the cargo manifest, and the protocol are the rails. Um, and so that's kind of how you think about it. To talk about coins just by themselves, without talking about protocols or the accounting uh, ledgers, kind of really only understands part of the problem. It's like talking about a... Uh, a battery, but not the whole um, uh, internal combustion engine. Um, the, uh, that's point one. Point two is as, as we develop the, the use, the, what, what's going to be driven here, all of this can be driven by use cases that consumers find useful. Uh, and then that will allow the adoption of those technologies and adoption of those coins that are associated with the technologies. So the first, um, like, you know, for instance, I should, um, Disclosed that I'm an investor in Elizabeth's company, have been there for happy investor for years. Uh, and so she's found a use case. Uh, and the original use cases for the tokens were, in fact, payments. People talk about payments. Uh, but then there, when Ethereum was created, a different kind of token, a different solution, that became the use case there became smart contracts. Uh, and opened up a whole new way of using this digital currency technology uh, and a whole new set of products can be created around that. And it, we're now evolving into each um, particular company or each particular network that's created with a set of use cases has its own token. So we're, we're at a place now where there are going to be a proliferation of uh, tokens run on net networks based upon certain protocols. And so there, there will be multiple tokens that will be used. And my guess is, and those will be driven by the use cases that we present to consumers to use those tokens. And then they'll come back, in my view, into things like protocol, into things like Bitcoin and stable coins for purposes of being a store of value. Uh, another way of look, looking at it is more like if you're an uh, artist and you own the rights to a song or to a movie, each time that movie is created or you or send the movie is shown, you get paid a little bit and it becomes more valuable the more people watch the movie. Tokens will grow in value as the network that they're attached to has more use cases. Uh, and then those tokens will themselves be more valuable. And since, but since they're multiplicative around the networks, they'll need something to come back into stable coins, Bitcoin, and fiat currency. Yeah, he gets it. And you kind of see this today with uh, what happened with GameStop, right? I don't know if y'all been been following the news uh, as of late, but GameStop has uh, <laughs> has kind of caught fire as as a stock here recently uh, because of a a Reddit board that got the stock pumping and then shorted a lot of uh, Wall Street vets in the process. And then they got their feelings hurt and then banned the Reddit board <laughs> because a lot of Wall Street vets uh, got really gutted. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. But anyway, um, but you kind of see that process where hypothetically GameStop should be an ERC-20 token because a lot of us, me included, I love GameStop. I love going to GameStop and just browsing over there. I might not necessarily buy anything, but if I could hold GameStop token, I would, right? Because I'm a fan of 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 that brand of 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 that experience of going there. Same thing with uh, my Regal Theater here in Austin, Texas. I don't know if you guys have a Regal Theater, but I love Regal Theaters or I love Alamo Draft House. If I could hold Alamo Draft House coin, I would, right? And I, if I could redeem it there, I would. Um, so it's, I, I see what Glenn's talking about. And if that value of Alamo Drafthouse coin went up, you see you see how it's kind of turning. And, and that's exactly what he's saying. It, most people don't realize where this is headed. Most people don't realize how these store values are going to occur. Um, people think that uh, stable coins 
are the end all be all for everything that we're just going to move over from a, a dollar based currency to a digital dollar based currency. And that's, that's going to be the end of it. No, everything is, is, is becoming uh, a, a, a token of value of some sort. It might, and don't get me wrong. It, it might take, it's not going to happen next year or the year after it might even might not even happen this decade. Right. But at some point in the near future, this token of value is going to happen around us. And it's going to have to because, as you'll later find out through this episode, uh, the world is becoming more of a consumption economy. Uh, and, and we're slowly we're slowly turning from a, a global creation uh, economy where we're, we're manufacturing things to we're consuming things at a greater rate. Uh, so... Uh, something has to give, right? Um, so I, I, I really think that uh, Glenn is very, uh, is very on to something there. And I, I think, uh, I think if you're holding ether right now, <laughs> gosh, so you're looking pretty good. And don't get me wrong, there's going to be other smart contracting platforms like Cardano and possibly, you know, Polkadot and, and possibly, you know, um, you know, who knows? Maybe Tezos. We, ne- we never know, but. Um, there's going to be other smart contracting platforms that will hopefully uh, compete with Ethereum because we can't have just one competitor, right? Uh, control it all. So we'll see. But it's going to be very interesting to see how all that plays out. But right now, definitely Ethereum has the lead. But um, yeah, stable coins are all the rage right now here at Davos. And as you can see, a lot of those people have no idea where this is headed. Uh, and, and just like us, we're always thinking four or five steps ahead, right? Uh, we know where this is headed. We know where the goal line is. Stable coins is something that we were talking about in 2017, 2018, right? We're so over stable coins already. <laughs> and people are barely coming around to it here in 2021. Like they're barely slowly coming to terms with it in 2021. And a lot of us are like, yeah, we're, we're over it. <laughs> We've been over it since 2018. Uh, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over stable coins. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, they're good, I guess. I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, they're good, uh, I guess. Um, but yeah, the, okay. So let, I want to jump into this next, this next and final, because there really wasn't a lot to pick here in Davos. They really just talking about this great reset and they're really politicizing uh, COVID a lot and really don't want to get into that, right? I, I'm sticking with Bitcoin and digital currency, and I care more about how that's going to affect, you know, that and, and, and our space, right? So one of the interesting things, one of the interesting, actually, I should say the interesting people that they had uh, here uh, talking here at the Strengthening the Financial and Monetary System panel, <laughs> Because that needs to be a panel. Um, they had Yi Gang. He's the governor for the People's Bank of China, and um, this individual was talking about how they are currently strengthening uh, their financial and monetary system in China. And I want you to take a listen to his entire speech. It's fifty-five minutes long. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. No. It was 55 minutes long and I listened to all of it, but I snuck out probably about eight minutes of it. And I want you to listen to all of it because it's 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 very concise. And I I, I got the, the nice and juicy part of it. I want you to listen to it all the way through because it's, it's very, it's very interesting. And, and a lot of the stuff that he talks about in, the, in those like, actually, it's not even eight minutes. It's probably like six minutes. In those six minutes, he talks about quite a few things. He, he talks about how China has recovered, you know, from COVID, how they're doing well. Right. And then he also talks about how they are, they see themselves as a, a, a green economy here very soon by 2030. And they also see themselves moving into a consumption economy very soon. Who does that remind you of a consumption economy? Yeah, that's what I thought too. Take a listen. Uh, we will uh, ensure that the policy are consistent and uh, stable and will not exit from supporting policy prematurely. 
uh, you ask the prediction for this year, I, I think uh, that uh, will largely depend on the assumption on the COVID-19 uh, uh, trend. My large probability prediction is that uh, uh, this year, Chinese GDP will grow uh, more or less along the potential uh, growth uh, level uh, that is uh, more or less resuming uh, to the uh, normal trend. And the third, and lastly, I want to mention uh, uh, green finance. Uh, the COVID-19 crisis once again highlights the importance of uh, harmony between man and the nature. It also uh, reminds us uh, the imminent risk of climate change. Uh, today, President Xi uh, reiterated that uh, China they are going to uh, achieve uh, peak carbon emission before 2030 and uh, carbon neutrality before 2060. The yeah. People's Bank of China, which is the central bank of China, stand ready to support this climate uh, commitment through better resources allocation and the risk management and uh, market-based uh, pricing by putting in place a green financial system. The system will include five pillars, namely first, the system of green financial standard. Second, supervision and disclosure requirements for green financial institutions. Third, incentive and credit support for emission reduction. Fourth, the market of green finance uh, products such as uh, green loan, green bonds, and uh, carbon futures. Fifth, the international cooperation on green finance. Thank you very much. Let me uh, let me just follow uh, follow up with um, uh, one question. I, I started by asking you uh, about uh, consumption led growth. Um, the, the, in the fourth quarter, there was no sign of any shift to consumption led growth. Uh, I, I think uh, the uh, impact of uh, COVID-19, they are directly on the consumption, especially service consumption, like uh, restaurant, party, and airline, and uh, train, traveling, uh, theaters, and so on and so forth. So that uh, in Chinese economy, and uh, consumption uh, account for about 60% of the growth. Uh, but uh, during the pandemic, the percentage of consumption decreased. And as I think uh, as we uh, control the uh, pandemic, uh, consumption will resume to the uh, more or less uh, normal level. And uh, the other trend is uh, uh, right now in China, our saving rate uh, is uh, starting decline a little bit every year. So that that is a good indication that the more uh, growth come from uh, consumption. Uh, our export uh, uh, this year will continue to uh, be uh, pretty good, but I think uh, the economic policy, the monetary policy, macroeconomic policy, the physical policy, all focusing on maximize employment. If we have stable employment, that will guarantee uh, very good consumption. So that by and large, our macroeconomic policy and the monetary policy would focus on uh, consumption and make uh, China to a smooth transition to a consumption-driven economy. Domestic demand would be, by and large, the most important and the bulk of the entire uh, economy. Thank you. So just just two things here, actually probably three things. So y'all remember last year when we were doing a lot of coverage on what BlackRock was doing and what the Federal Reserve was doing right around uh, March, April, and May, and how we were talking about how not only was the Federal Reserve handing trillions of dollars to BlackRock, but BlackRock was then turning around and investing in Chinese securities with their own uh, ETFs, right? And so I laid it out. We did a whole Thriller Insider on it. We, you know, I, I even... I even showed the 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 uh, information inside the newsletter. It was all factual stuff. Uh, I linked everything. Uh, wasn't being conspiratorial or anything. I, I really, 
I really was as shocked as, as most of y'all were. And I was just kind of like, man, how is this happening in plain sight? And no one is saying anything. And we had an administration at the time who was very anti China, but were letting that happen in its own backyard. And I thought that was very interesting to say the least. So with all that going on, you then see this happening again here now. And, and so what I see here is China again being very pro-green energy. And who's the trillion dollar asset manager that is pro-green energy and will only work with pro-green energy countries and pro-green energy companies? <laughs> BlackRock, right? So it's no, it's no coincidence that China is moving in that direction. It's because they have no choice. They have to because of BlackRock. Uh, and it, it, I hate to say this because it almost feels like I'm the one who is uh, <laughs> the conspir conspiratorial person in this all. But I don't know what you call somebody who is, sees everything in plain sight and is the only one pointing it out because all the facts are laid out there. And it's kind of like, what do you call the only person who sees everything for what it is, but it is not crazy, but like, it is not going to be blind to it either. Um, I don't know what you call somebody like that. I, I, I don't know. Um, but it, it's clearly obvious that um, there's a shift in the world that's moving a lot of what we hold here in America to China. And, and it, it seems that this great reset is more about how America is shifting its um, dominance over to, sh to, to China. Uh, at least that's how it's played out monetary wise. It, it seems like to me. Uh, so, so that's my one and two points right there. And, and like I said, I'm not trying to be, you know, conspiratorial or anything like that. It's just the facts of it all. And you can go back and listen to that Thriller Insider episode. And, and even here today, um, I just find it fascinating that uh, not too many people report on that. Um, and uh, and I, I think I think maybe Financial Times reported a couple of times. And I think there was a uh, uh, there was a governor maybe in Arizona or Illinois that has brought it to, to Jerome Powell's attention last year, um, you know, during a conference. And I think we played a clip of that. And she was like, why didn't y'all um, invest uh, in other diverse, uh, diversified uh, and a more diversified portfolio? Uh, and, and he was like, oh, we didn't have time. Or he said he made up some excuse. So it's just it's really fascinating how how all that works. And like it could just be a coincidence. Right. But I don't believe in coincidences when it comes to trillions of dollars, quite frankly. Um, another, another, another point I wanted to make was uh, Coindesk released uh, some really interesting information today on the geopolitics at stake in, in the United States response to China's digital yawn. Uh, so CNAS came out with a report today and uh, basically said that the digital currency electronic payment or the DCEP system that would give the Chinese uh, Chinese Communist Party the powerful ability to monitor in real time the minute financial dealings of its citizens. So we all know that the central bank digital currency is releasing their own, you know, digital yuan, and that's going to be able to, you know, accelerate development with how they do digital payments. Well, um, this company called CNAS, they put together this whole like kind of like booklet, and it kind of goes really in depth. I'm really, it's really fascinating. They, they they do about 18 pages of this and they they start with an introduction and they they look into Beijing's motivations in creating this digital yawn and they 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 kind of show you the players of who got this started and how many years they've been working at it and they really go into depth and then they basically and they basically end with saying that once they test and implement this which they've already kind of been doing for the past year um it's basically going to be up to the United States to or actually the United States and other surrounding countries to basically say, Hey, um, are you guys going to let, um, China, you know, basically monitor 
their 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 digital yawn on your payment networks. And if you're okay with that, then what does that say about, you know, data privacy and political freedom being infringed upon your citizens? And how does that affect, you know, this supposedly economic <laughs> uh, technological growth that's supposed to be transforming this global payment system that we're supposedly building with, you know, with these digital currencies. So this is pretty interesting that all this is going on right now. So uh, it's going to be a lot to be kind of watching. I have a feeling that I, I think it's going to play. I think it's going to play out one of two ways. I think the digital yawn is either going to work inside of this stablecoin system or China is going to be the odd man left out and these stable coins are going to work around the Chinese system. You know what I mean? So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But I think it's going to be fascinating to find out much later how that's going to kind of work itself out. So I, I, I know for a fact China is definitely going to have its, its own way because it always does. Right. It didn't allow Facebook. It didn't allow Google there. It barely allowed Apple. So you you would think it's going to definitely have its digital yawn. It's going to want to do its own thing. It's going to want to monitor its own, you know, citizens with its digital yawn. So um, I don't know if that, that digital yawn is going to be able to be used in Europe or in the United States or anywhere else as a payment, right? Probably not. I would say probably not, but maybe, maybe, maybe so. Who knows? Maybe... I don't know. I don't know. The world is changing fast. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. So the, the last piece of, I guess, a panel that I want to share with y'all is kind of about the whole landscape of what 2021 looks like for the CEOs of Barclays, the CEOs of JP Morgan's, <laughs> the uh, the people who who hold all the money, uh, these wealth management uh, people, right? Uh, the C levels. Uh, what do they think of all this in 2021? What do they think of this great reset? And there's a there's a really good discussion uh, with a good back and forth on what they think is really going on. That they even discuss inflation. Um, and, uh, Mary Callahan of JP Morgan, uh, who else would say something bad about Bitcoin? Uh, she does, <laughs> but take a listen. It's a, it's probably about a good, you know, 10, 12 minute clip, but there's some good back and forth there. And, uh, they give you a good, you know, summarization of what they see 2021, uh, outlook in the markets uh kind of looks like so uh take a listen sure i i think it's a really good point francine i would say if you go back to the last financial crisis and this is just a a very high level commentary i would say you had a, a situation where you had a lot of uh solvent companies that were actually illiquid and so we had issues in the economy i would say right now we may have the opposite problem you may have some insolvent companies that are actually liquid because of what's happened over the past year. I think these are real issues that are going to have to be worked out um, uh, counterparty to counterparty. Do I think they pose uh, systemic risk? No. Do I think we're seeing rotation occurring in the economy uh, and changes where certain sectors are growing uh, and others are facing structural decline? Absolutely. Uh, that's what happens in vibrant economies as uh, you see rotation, as you see new technologies, as you see new disruption. And unfortunately, unfortunately, you're seeing um, because of this uh, dislocation, uh, the effects of uh, uh, gr uh, greater uh, inequality, you're seeing polarization. You're, and these are the fundamentally difficult issues uh, that 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 uh, that our leadership needs to help uh, solve. Yes, what, what do you see in the real economy? Yeah, so uh, on the economy, and 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 as we were talking um, uh, uh, before this session started, let's see what happens with the new variations on on the virus. 
Uh, let's see the effectiveness of the vaccines. Those are those are big uncertainties which seem to be growing by by the day. But if in fact we can um, start to wrestle the pandemic down, um, um, I think there's a chance in our current view at at Barclays is you could have quite a robust second half to this year. Um, you know, if you go back to the you know to the Spanish flu, which probably the greatest pandemic of uh, uh, of the century. You know, what that led to when it finally got um, uh, arrested was the Roaring Twenties. And there was just an explosion of demand uh, coming out of that. Uh, and when we look, you know, you look at the balance sheet of a JP Morgan or a, or a Barclays, there's just enormous stored up uh, purchasing power. Uh, consumers are, 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 are decreasing their borrowing and, and increasing their deposits. Small, you know, small corporates are doing the same thing. And there's just a huge amount of pent up uh, uh, potential consumer and business demand, which once uh, the back, uh, uh, once the virus begins to uh, uh, be dealt with, uh, could in fact actually do pretty strong economic growth. I'd go back to what uh, 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 Q Song said. I think the challenge is it's very unequal in terms of how uh, how the economic response, both fiscal and monetary policy, is hitting different parts of the economy and different parts of society. And, and perhaps the greatest risk is not an economic one, but a social one. Uh, and those that are being left behind um, um, for all sorts of structural reasons, um, uh, I, I think that's that's where the, perhaps the greatest risk is. And, to a certain extent, I think you've seen signs of that, particularly in the United States over the last couple of months. Exactly what they were supposed to do. And the, and the monetary and the fiscal stimulus worked, right? It was an explosive backdrop of stimulus that comes on globally coordinated. And there we have a not surgical approach to what we want to fix. We, we, we have to take a, a blanket approach. And therefore, you, you have natural froth in the system. And there's only so much you can do about it. Now, that causes all sorts of bubbles. Asset bubbles come and go. And there's lots of conversation about things like Bitcoin and SPACs and GameStop and other companies and what's happening. Those are asset bubbles, much like the crisis of 2000. And those, they, they can end badly, but they don't affect the actual economy. They don't affect the actual banking system and the stability and the security that we're talking about here. Credit bubbles, as we talked about, can, and they can be the bigger warrior. And the capital markets are pricing in just that. We've got the, the aggregate as, as a summary of the overall bond market having, having negative real yields right now. We have really that's telling us there's a scarcity of lending. There's not as much out there as uh, what people need to put their money into to be able to diversify their portfolios and to be able to protect the overall diversified asset allocation that they have become accustomed to and they're in search of yield and they're trying to make up for it. And so we have to worry about the unintended consequences of what happens to that end investor. And the end investor is where it can go very wrong. And some of these things just haven't been battle tested. You think just in the U.S., um, there are companies like mortgage fintechs and there's a mortgage uh, foreclosure moratorium. So we don't have any idea what that's going to mean and how that's going to play itself out. Uh, but that's where we really have to figure out where there are no rules and there are becoming access to the banking and financing market. Where, where are things not tested? How can we get ahead of it? And where can we make sure that we're, we're not allowing those things to happen? Because that's where it really affects the end the end user. Q-Song, what does that mean for private markets? Is, is it an opportunity or is it a challenge? Yeah, I think it's mostly an opportunity. Um, and, you know, everything that the governor said, I, I, I kind of agree with in the sense of uh, we need smart public-private partnership here. But there are market-based solutions to, to, to a lot of this to just get the economy going again. Um, and, you know, when, when you think about creation of of new companies, new business models, ways to uh, to improve healthcare, uh, ways to 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 uh, uh, do online education, ways to to uh, to improve basically uh, people's lives in, in a world that's been disrupted. Um, you know, private capitalists funding a lot of that. We're, we're the ones who are are, are helping uh, management teams grow. Um, we need smart regulation. 
We need thoughtful fiscal and monetary policies, which aren't trying to solve the issues of yesterday. They're focused on the issues of tomorrow. And we do need coordination amongst our leaders to do that. Um, I think Jess brings out a really good point, which is I'm, I'm less concerned really about the old issues of the banking system. Um, I'm much more concerned about issues around social stability, not financial stability, um, of uh, how do we figure out how to uh, get trust back in government? Uh, because government is going to be an important solution path moving forward. Um, I think there's no more important thing that can be done right now than solve the healthcare crisis. We're not done with that yet. Uh, we're very early days. And I think it's very clear that you cannot solve and fix the real economy and get that going again until you can get the health of our people all set up the right way. So, so there's, there's lots to do, but I do think the private markets and private capital are actually a huge source of, of, of opportunity and redirection of capital to the uh, elements of, 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 of the economy that uh, are in need of it uh, and that can use it to grow. Uh, and with smart political leadership, I think uh, we've got a good shot at, at resetting and, and, and getting, the, getting this all going in the right direction. Now, you can have this, this very aggressive fiscal and monetary policy um, um, uh, that we are having anchored by the fact that interest rates are effectively zero, if not in most in many G7 countries negative on a, on a real basis. And, 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 and so you can run massive deficits and, and grow central bank balance sheets to uh, an unprecedented uh, degree if you don't have to pay any real interest. Um, uh, the issue I think to focus on is where is inflation? <clears throat> Yeah, and I think part of what's creating the fact that that there right now the bond market is not pricing in any inflation is because uh, we're not seeing pressure in in the labor market, which is the other side of that income inequality issue. What is generating massive uh, financial returns right now is intellectual capital. Labor is not being paid. Um, uh, that's keeping inflation low, keeping the bond market comfortable uh, uh, and allowing governments to run these deficits. But I think, as everyone said, from the governor to Kusan and Mary, you know, we've got to start investing in a way that deals with the income inequality issue. And it's a timing issue of, you know, getting people to work uh, with, with, with wages that allow someone to afford uh, to live. The price of that might be on the back end, you're going to get some inflation, you're going to get the bond market to move. And then all of a sudden, you know, governments borrowing for free uh, uh, um, uh, may not continue forever. And that, and that may be the ultimate economic challenge that, that we face. Governments borrowing for free may not continue forever. Yeah, that's definitely a good place to stop right there. Um, let's, let's jump into key takeaways. So. The Federal Reserve, the United States Central Bank, said today at a conclusion of its regular Federal Open Market Committee meeting that it would keep its key overnight interest rate near zero and make no change to its monthly bond purchases of at least $120 billion. Federal Chair Jerome Powell said that there was a great uncertainty ahead. Yeah, that's that's coming out today here during Davos. Um, some of the other key takeaways from Davos is, of course, CBDC, central bank digital currencies, is all the rage this year. Very much different from last year. Very much different. Last year, there was, there was talk about central bank digital currencies, but it was like, yeah, we're looking into it. Yes, there's pilot programs. Yes, stable coins we hear are a thing. Um, but as you know, as you know, with anything, when it comes to central bank digital currencies, they're going to be the first step globally. Uh, governments are looking into or, or trailing their own central bank digital currencies, of course. Uh, China definitely making that first step, um, which essentially digital versions of, of government's fiat currency. Um, so, uh, I mean, they're not going to be, they're not reinventing <laughs> the wheel here, ladies and gentlemen, this is just, uh, fiat currency, just, uh, more, more money printing, 
just on a digital scale. Um, so just remember that. Uh, and then China is definitely on board going green by 2030. And they definitely will use their monetary might to do so. Um, so that's that's going to be interesting because um, they're looking to become a consumption-driven economy very soon. And that could sway a lot of business their way in the very near future. Uh, America is not looking good, <laughs> good right now, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, the future is not looking good in America. And it's sad being an American citizen knowing that. Um, one of the things that scares me is 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 that is hearing all this news and, and and seeing this. It's like, geez, can we get some good news here in America? Um, but yeah, I wish you all well. We're listening to this and hope you guys are doing okay. Um, Bitcoin, of course, this is our last key takeaway. Bitcoin uh, use of criminal activity is subsiding thanks to Glenn Hutchins. Um, making that that statement today. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, and 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 Bitcoin is still seen as a bubble because because of what Mary Callahan said with this statement. There's lots of conversation about things like Bitcoin and SPACs and GameStop and other companies and what's happening. Those are asset bubbles, much like the crisis of 2000. And those. They, they can end badly, but they don't affect the actual economy. They don't affect the actual banking system. Famous last words, <laughs> if I ever heard some. Uh, yeah, the, those are famous last words right there. Um, comparing Bitcoin to GameStop stock. Not, not, not good. Definitely not good. Oh, man. She's going to regret ever saying that. Just because... Um, yeah, <laughs> Bitcoin's going to eat your lunch, man. You have no idea. Golly, imagine saying that. Golly, comparing Bitcoin to GameStop. Wow, that's a new one. What is up with JP Morgan making crazy, crazy statements about Bitcoin? What is going on? Comparing it to GameStop. Come on. It's, it's at 30K. It's at 30K, baby. Comparing it to GameStop? Give me a break. Give me a break. Okay, I had enough of Davos. Yeah, good old Davos every year leaves that leaves that strange bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, sure does. Uh, we went ahead and uh, got our signed credentials for South by Southwest this year. We're going to be covering that. Uh, also going to punch our ticket for consensus. Uh, we're going to be covering that as well, too, here in May. And then we're going to be covering here MicroStrategies conference here February uh, of next month. Uh, so, yeah, look for all of that coverage for Bitcoin and crypto uh, here this year, 2021. It's going to be all virtual, unfortunately. Uh, we won't be able to go to those conferences, so you won't be able to see any pictures or any kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, which I miss because that's where you get all the juicy details, backroom gossip. <laughs> and then I can tell you those inside stories and stuff but yeah none of that stuff this year but uh, it's okay next year okay with that see you next time